You're listening to Reality San Francisco's weekly podcast. For more audio content or information, please visit us at realitysf.com. morning church how are you fantastic one fantastic that's really good um man this has been a crazy week anybody had a hard week I had a really hard week this week um so let's pray for this service and uh, what God wants to say and do Lord um just as I prayed for these leaders God I pray for myself right now um in weakness, Lord, I know you're made strong. God, I know that you have a message for us, your people, today, Lord, in this scripture, that your word is alive and it's working, Lord Jesus, and you wash us by your word, Lord God, and you make us pure and you make us whole and beautiful, and I pray that washing would happen today. God, would you give us um, ears to hear what you have to say, Lord? Would you give us eyes to see ourselves and you and the ones around us in uh, the way you've created us, Lord. We believe in faith, Lord, that you will do a great thing today. Not because of us, Lord God, but because of you. You're great. And you're holy. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, listen, 2006, 2007, a movie came out that sent shockwaves through the media, um, all the way into our churches, into the Christian community, it was a violent movie. It was graphic. Uh, it dealt with like heavy theological concepts. You guys know what movie I'm talking about? No, not The Passion of the Christ. I'm talking about Nacho Libre. <laughs> Nacho. <clears throat> Nacho is a story of a man. A story of a man who's trying to understand who he is and the giftings that God has given him. Uh, Nacho grows up in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. He is the son of a Scandinavian missionary, a mother and a father who is a priest in Oaxaca. And as Nacho says, they tried to convert each other, they fell in love, and then they died. And that was their story. Nacho grows up uh, on the, the monastery and the orphanage, and he gets the duty of, of cooking breakfast every morning. He has kitchen duty. But he doesn't really like that duty and he's not very good at it. No one enjoys his meals. And so he uh, asked for a new duty and they said, there's a guy dying in town. You're on dead guy duty. And so he goes to go do dead guy duty and he's not very good at that either. And so in, in kind of a, the catalytic scene in the movie, he's confronted with one of the brothers and they say, you are horrible at making the meals every day. And he says, maybe it's time for me to get a new duty. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is Nacho on this journey of trying to identify what his gifts and his talents are and how he uses them for the body of Christ. I'm not joking. It sounds like a joke. I'm not joking. That's what the movie is. Um, it'll make you laugh. Made me cry. Um, and I love it. And this is the most quoted movie on our staff. I don't know what that says about our church, but we reference this more than anything else. And this may be a stretch of a segue, but this is what Paul is writing about in the church in Corinth. <laughs> so let's turn to 1 
to 1 Corinthians 12. <laughs> Can you throw that up one more time, KJ? Just look, like he's confident. He looks ridiculous, but he doesn't care. He is just doing what God has called him to do, all right? Let that be our charge for this morning. Okay, take him away. Let's read. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we're reading verses 12 to 26. It says, just as the body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts from one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. For we all, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one, but of many parts. So if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the many, uh, placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers... Every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. God, I just pray that your uh, word would come alive today, Lord God. Speak into this, the message you have for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I have a tendency to romanticize the early church. I don't know if you do this, but I hear about the birth of the early church and um, so many of these, these men and women, they knew Christ. They saw him. They walked with him. Uh, they were there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and set people on fire. It must have been amazing back then. And they must have been just uh, operating in, in a way that was so pure and so rich and so right back then. That's the way I romanticize it. But everything we've been studying for the last 10 months in 1 Corinthians tells us a different story. We see in the Corinthian church that they are just as broken sexually, emotionally, relationally as we are today. And that's why Paul writes a letter to them addressing their mix-ups. Um, as we talk about this metaphor of the body that Paul uses, it's significant. 
The church would have known about this metaphor, would have identified themselves as interconnected. Let's remember that Corinth was a place um, where uh, uh, economics was booming. The east and the west were converging in Corinth. They had a huge marketplace, businesses, uh, merchants all came. There's a lot of money exchanged in Corinth. It was a place of entertainment. They held uh, something similar to the Olympics there in Corinth. And and they had stand-up comics and lecturers. And uh, it was an entertainment boom town. People would come there for entertainment. It it had multiple uh, political views. There was the Roman imperialist presence there with the worship of Caesar. There was um, the the, uh, teachings of Plato and Plutarch and, uh, and, and philosophy of democracy, those early stages of democracy and representative government there. Um, Multiple ethnic people from all over the world convert. It was just this melting pot so much like our town where we live. And of course in this there was a, a class system. There were people on the elite level, extremely wealthy, and they're all the way down to the servants, the daily servants. And at one point, really close to when Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church, something had happened in in Corinth. There was a strike. There were rebel workers who stopped working in the fields. And the senator, Senator Agrippa, at that time, he sent a plea out to the workers. He said, listen, do you understand we're all interconnected? It's as if we are a body. We rely on each other. You go get the food I govern from my comfortable office. This is our interconnectedness. And he would send this plea out. And this, is, this was spoken throughout Corinth and throughout um, uh, Greece. This imagery, this metaphor of being interconnected as a body. And Paul takes that because what Agrippa and what the other leaders were saying was we're interconnected, but we don't eat from the same table. We're interconnected, but we're not equal. I have my place, and you have yours. And we're interconnected, but we're not the same. Paul takes that metaphor that that everyone in Corinth would have been familiar with, and he takes that body metaphor, and he sticks it on its metaphorical head. He turns it upside down. That hierarchy in Corinth, what, what they experienced... Is really similar to what we live in every day, right? You have a hierarchy at work. Someone has a better office than you, guaranteed. Uh, We have it at home. Someone lives in the master bedroom, and someone lives in the dining room or the closet, probably. (laughs) We have a hierarchy in our social groups. Someone gets more Evites than me (laughs) or us. There's a hierarchy in almost everything that we do. And this strong presence of hierarchy, of some being above others, not being equal, but being interconnected, that presence of hierarchy in almost everything we do, it's in almost everything we're a part of, even in the church. Even in the church, this sense of hierarchy has a presence. Paul chastised the Corinthian church for this. If you remember just a a few uh, chapters earlier, Paul's talking about communion. What was happening at communion? Communion is this, this celebration. It is this remembrance of our unity with Christ and one another in the body. 
And yet what was happening in Corinth is the wealthy would go into the back room and they'd get drunk and they'd eat the really good food. Filet mignon, Pinot Noir is flowing and they're having a great time. And meanwhile in the lobby, the poor are isolated and they're hungry and they don't even know what's going on in the back. And, and by the end there's nothing left. This is division, and this is what Paul's talking about. There's not to be division in the body, and yet it's present in the Corinthian church. Paul corrects the Corinthians for elevating spiritual gifts, especially things like tongues and prophecy, flashy gifts, elevating those above the others. He reprimands the Corinthian church for this. What we need to hear today for us is that The temptation to elevate others and ourselves over those we consider weak or or poor is just as strong inside the church as it is outside the church. There is a temptation for us to elevate some and look down on others based on their giftings, the way God has gifted them. We do this all the time. You probably have experienced this in your church history if you've been in church for any time at all. And the church I grew up in, um, they valued preaching and teaching very highly. A lot, most churches do. <clears throat> but, but there was one teacher, when he spoke, more people would come. And the church would grow. The more he spoke from the pulpit, more people would come. And the church was growing. This was seen as a sign of life. And he had a gift, a God-given gift to teach. And yet that gift began to morph into what he interpreted as other gifts. And pretty soon there was a power struggle between the teacher and the elders. Who was making the call? Who was really running the church? Who had vision for the church? How were decisions being made? And there was not unity in that. And this person had been elevated so high, there wasn't anyone that could ever contradict him. There wasn't anyone that could challenge him or question. And that led to a church split. And I don't know if you've ever been through that. It is painful. It physically, emotionally, I was in 7th and 8th grade and I remember being in meetings just where Two adult men who call themselves Christians who profess to love Christ and be in the body together were just hating each other, tearing at each other, accusing each other. It tore the church, the body, into pieces. Part of the church went with the teaching pastor and part of the church stayed and and tried to keep on and neither church was ever effective again, ever. Paul is giving us, giving the church in Corinth this, this warning. Don't be about dividing yourselves into this hierarchy of gifts. Don't do that. Paul takes that that metaphor of the body used in Corinth. And he turns it around. And he gives us three points in this, uh, three points that we're going to talk about today in this teaching. First, Paul shows us how we can be unified. We are to be unified. We are to be one body. How can we do that? How does that happen? 
Second, he shows us that unity is not uniformity. Unity in the body does not mean we are uniform, that all are the same, all have the same gifts. And lastly, he shows us that uniqueness, that God-given gift that you have, is not a call to independence. It doesn't isolate you from the body. Okay? So Paul starts off in verse 12 and he says, Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Why does he say Christ? Shouldn't he say, so it is with the church? So it is with the people of God. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, so it is with Christ. Many parts, one body, so it is with Christ. And, and scholars say this is the way Paul, Paul knew this to be true because he had experienced it firsthand. In Acts chapter 9, we get the testimony of Paul's conversion. Paul grew up um, uh, to be a religious leader. He had memorized the entire Old Testament. He knew every rite and ritual that went along with being a religious leader in the, in the temple. And uh, he was charged with going and, and rounding up this early church, the early Christians, and putting a stop to this movement of Christ, this, this Christian movement that was taking place, putting an end to it. So that's what... Paul, who at that time, his name was Saul, that's what he did. He went from town to town, rounding up Christian groups, putting them in prison, having them executed. That was his job. And he's on one of these missions one day when he's confronted. A a beam of light shines down, he falls to the ground, and a voice speaks to him. And it says, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute my church? Why do you persecute my people? No, it says, why do you persecute me? The voice that Saul is hearing identifies himself as Jesus. And in this verse, we get an insight to God's deep intention for unity in the body of Christ in the church. The church is personal to Christ. You are personal to Christ. We together are personal to Christ. Do you see him that way? Do you experience him that way? Do you rejoice with God and Christ that way? I've had a bummer of a week. (laughs) I'm just going to be real with you guys. I have had a bummer of a week this week. One of those where you feel like you get kicked in the leg and you fall down. And then you get kicked while you're down. And then someone pile drives you while you're still down. Like like really? Like it just keeps. Like that is. That was my week this week. And yesterday as I'm writing this sermon in my office. I'm yelling at God. I'm yelling at God. I am pounding my fist in the chair in my office because I'm frustrated. (laughs) We are in a tough spot right now. And I'm frustrated. And I'm just telling God what is going on. And you know what he says? He says, I know. (laughs) I know. Keep on. If you're in a pit, don't stay there. Keep moving. Move on. 
And God, I'm telling you, he says, when, when the church is persecuted, when you personally are persecuted, God experiences that. He is there present in your suffering. God knows the spot that my family is in right now. And he's present in it. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is a personal relationship the church has, we have, with Christ. How can this be? How can we have this kind of unity with Christ and each other? Paul uh, tells the Corinthian church that anyone who is a believer in Christ, anyone who, who believes on Christ for their salvation, that they are baptized in one spirit into one body. No matter if they are Jew or Gentile, slave or free, no matter what your station is, no matter what your circumstances were coming into today, if you are a believer in Christ, it says that you are unified. You are baptized into one spirit, into one body. Next Sunday, we're doing a baptism. Praise God. And it's going to be amazing. It's one of my favorite things that we do as a church. It's so much fun. Um, after service, we'll have many brothers and sisters um, in the back parking lot. There'll be a stage there, and they will give a confession of faith. They will explain to us, their family, why they are being baptized, why they're making this public declaration of what Christ has done in their life as they have surrendered their life to Christ and called him king. They will make a confession on the stage, and then they will get into small freezing cold pools of water along with one of us. And we will take them and we will, we will pray over them. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they will go down into the water. A sign of the death of everything that was before they came to Christ. And they leave it buried. And they come out of the water, a representation of new life being birthed in Christ into a new creation. And what Paul is saying is that as we watch that ceremony next weekend, we are watching a transformation happen. That people are going from what was into what is and what will be in Christ. It's a whole new life. And a part of that process as we surrender our lives to Christ is that we are, when that person comes out of that water, when they make that confession of faith, they're actually being grafted into something bigger than themselves. Every person that's being baptized next week is, is being grafted into this body. Unified with us. It's an amazing thing. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. One spirit that unifies all of us together. <clears throat> Paul says that only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we say Jesus is Lord. We can't do that on our own. So every confession on that stage will be the moving of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And it's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that is present here with us right now. The same Holy Spirit that is with you when you go to your job and your home and everything that awaits you the rest of the day today. It's the same spirit that unifies us. We're one spirit in one body. Now, as this transformation happens and people are born in, into Christ, they are given gifts of the Holy Spirit. God gives them unique gifts for, for themselves for the service of the body. That's what uh, Paul tells us. 
but they will not all be given the same gifts. Next week as they're baptized and they make that confession, they'll be given gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they won't all be the same gifts because unity is not uniformity. Every single one of those people next week might hope that they will be a worldwide evangelist like Billy Graham. They will go to packed out stadiums and 10,000 people will come uh, to Christ and they'll just go on to the next city around the world and do this. They might hope for that. Most likely not going to happen. Why? Because we are not all given the same gifts. Um, this can be hard for us to wrestle with. That we don't all have the same gifts. My daughter, uh, Reagan, she's my middle daughter. She's uh, seven years old. And when she was three, we signed her up for soccer for the first time. And if you've ever watched three-year-olds play soccer, it is essentially a cluster of three-year-old bodies. Somewhere a ball in there, they're mainly kicking each other. And then someone mistakenly makes contact with the ball and it pops about five feet over and the whole cluster just moves over there and they continue kicking each other. Reagan was not a fan. She, uh, she didn't enjoy soccer that much. Um, but there was, there was a girl on her team, Sarah. Sarah played like she was 16 years old. Like she would just swoop up to the ball and it was like it was connected on a yo-yo like to her foot and she could like dance around people and uh, like she'd kick it from midfield into and they used the mini goal and it would like, like right into the goal. She'd score like 15 or 20 goals every game. And that was... Sarah had a gift, <laughs> and it was amazing to watch. Um, Reagan, <laughs> she found her gift. Uh, Reagan would see Sarah get the ball, and she would run as fast as her little three-year-old legs would carry her, and she would stand next to the goalpost. And then Sarah would score, and Reagan would hug. And Sarah would run over and give her a hug. And then they'd hold hands and they'd go back to midfield. And Sarah would take the ball and score again and Reagan would run, hug. And they'd hug and then they'd walk back to, and this, and Reagan loved it. <laughs> she loved it. One time, something happened though. One time, Will, uh, uh, Sarah's dad, Willie, he yelled from the sideline, pass it to Reagan. And Reagan was standing there and she's like, Sarah just like laces this ball off her three-year-old little belly, Reagan's little belly, and it dribbles. And then Sarah taps it in. We're like, Reagan, you just gave Sarah an assist. Hug. <laughs> she was stoked. Here's the thing, though. I think a lot of us, me included, as we would watch the season and everything, I would sit there saying, why does, can't Reagan play like Sarah? What? Maybe if I just take her to the park every single day for two hours after school and I just work her little butt out, like she will be as good as Sarah. I didn't, okay, don't judge. I didn't do that. I thought about it. Um, but isn't there something inside of us like, why, why is she able to do that? My, my kid can't do that. And I didn't value, and I'm just, this is like Dave's confession, like before the church all day. I'm just confessing to you that I thought, like, Reagan doesn't have the same gift. Her gift is less than Sarah's gift in soccer. 
But this crazy thing happens. Sarah ends up going to school with Reagan. <laughs> and Sarah has a messed up home. And Sarah delights in Reagan. And Reagan is her best friend. And Reagan just hugs her and tells her how great she is and holds her hand and comforts her. And that, <laughs> now I'm getting emotional. Um, that is an incredibly beautiful gift. Life-changing gift. I'm so proud of Reagan and her gift. And the way she uses it just boldly. And she's still that way. If you meet her and you know her, um, she might be wary of you at first. But once she warms up, she will hug you and want to sit on your lap and be close to you and tell you how great you are. That is Reagan's gift. <clears throat> Paul talks to the church and he begins with those who think they're outsiders. He begins with those who say... <clears throat> I'm an ear, and if I'm an ear and I can't be an eye, I don't belong to this church anymore. I don't belong in this body. He, had, he starts with those who think they're outsiders. Because they didn't believe that if they had the gift of administration or um, of other, any other things besides gifts and prophecy, those were the things that were held up. If they didn't have those gifts, then... They couldn't really be a part of this body. I, maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel that way sometimes. The truth is that God, he doesn't create us all the same. He doesn't give us all the same gifts and abilities. And he does that for his glory. He doesn't give you the same gifts, maybe that you want, and he does that for his glory. Case in point. Our pastoral staff here at Reality. I don't know if God could have put three different, more different people together than me, Dave, and Tarek. Okay, we are so different. Dave grew up in Bakersfield. He has no clue about sports, but he'll pretend like he does. No clue about sports whatsoever. Dave has a passion for shoes, handbags, interior design. And he'll tell you that. I thought those were only women things before I came to this church and I moved here and now I'm finding there's actually lots of you guys that, that like shoes and handbags and interior design. Who knew? That's Dave. Tarek, Pastor Tarek, grew up on the East Coast. He loves hockey and Excel spreadsheets. Just calm down, hockey people. You only get represented like once a year. I know. This is your chance. Tarek grew up on the East Coast, loves hockey, loves Excel spreadsheets and numbers, and did time in prison. I'm not joking. That's a good story. You should go talk to him. I grew up in San Diego. I'm a recovering football addict, and I have no sense of fashion whatsoever. We couldn't be more different. And not just in our hobbies and in our clothes and things, in our giftings. Listen, one of the, the, the greatest struggles in my walk with Christ was trying to figure out what I can do. What am I good at, Lord? What gift do I have? And not comparing that gift to anyone else. Not striving to be someone else or be operating in someone else's gift. I will never teach like Dave Lomas. Dave has a gift from God to teach the word of God in this city 
that I don't have and I won't ever have. Praise God for that. <laughs> because here's what happens. I can come out and do announcements every other week. And then I go back and I sit right where you guys are sitting. And I listen to a man gifted in teaching the word. Teach the word. And I'm edified. And I grow. And, and, and I become closer to Jesus because he's operating in his gift. And Tarek manages the money and structure of this church so well. He is gifted in that. I can't do that. I can't do what Tarek does. Praise God for him because I get to be a part of this body. We get to be a part of this body that is healthy and moving in the right direction and, and adding pieces and parts as God brings them in the right areas. That's Tarek's gift. He does that. And we all benefit from it. God's given me a gift to put teams of people together, to identify other people's gift and help them get into the right place to do the right thing for the body. That's a gift God's given me. And in this crazy way, God takes the three of us from these totally different backgrounds, totally different experiences, totally different passions, and he brings us to the city together. And this church happens. And, and the spirit of God happens. And more leaders and more people are moving in their giftings and, and being a part of the body and sacrificing and giving themselves to the body. And the, the body grows and it's healthy and it's moving. And this is the glory of God. If all of us were dying to be here with the microphone, we'd be pre preaching to empty seats. <laughs> to empty rooms. I have no idea where I am in my notes right now. <laughs> um, ah, this is a good point. <laughs> if each of us says this, like, like Paul's talking about, each of us says this, I'll serve God if I can be the preacher. I'll serve God if he'll make me a worship leader or whatever, fill in the blank. Here's Paul's point when we say that. The foot or the ear says because I'm not an eye or a hand, I'm not part of the body. For that reason, he doesn't stop being part of the body. Right? If the ear says, the eye, if I'm not you, I'm out, he doesn't stop being part of the body. If the foot says to the hand, I'm out, I can't be you, he doesn't stop being part of the body. What actually happens... Instead, is that you just become a diseased, limp, useless part that actually detriments the whole. So if you have a gifting of God and you say, I don't like this gifting, and if I don't have that gifting, I'm out. You're not out. You're still here. And what you're doing is you're actually affecting the whole body in a negative way. Because you are not edifying the body the way you have been created to do. And it hurts all of us when we do this. And I've spent years of my early walk with Christ doing that. Like, if I'm not that or I'm not that, then I guess I'm not anything. And, and the places I worshipped and the bodies I was a part of were negatively affected because of that. It's not right. Just because we don't use our gift doesn't mean we're not part of the body. We're just not a functioning part. And we need to be functioning. There's a great example of this in the movie Amadeus. 
Antonio Soleri, he's just a brilliant um, um, music writer. <laughs> I don't know what the word is for. <laughs> composer, thank you, someone said it. He's a brilliant composer, and he writes all these compositions and everything, and he makes this vow with God. God, make me great, and make my name famous, and I'll give you the glory. Make me great, and make me famous, and I will give you the glory. And see, things seem to be moving in that trajectory until Soleri meets Mozart. He hears Mozart's music first before he meets him, and he's just blown away. Who is this? I have to meet him. I have to be around him. He has got a gift. Oh, I need to, I need to learn, and, and maybe I can grow. And then Soleri meets Mozart, and Mozart's a punk. And Mozart is just crass. And he's flippant and he's a drunk and he doesn't value. And Soleri turns to God and he says, how could you? How could you give my gift to him? How could you do that? And what happens is the rest of Soleri's life, he's rotting away. He's rotting away. He doesn't ever compose music like he used to. He doesn't ever use that gift for God's glory or the benefit of anyone else. He rots in his jealousy. It's a warning. And here's the stark truth. None of us want to be the foot. None of us want to be the foot. Hand sounds good. I, yes. Armpit. I'm out. None of us want to be those things. But have you ever met someone, have you ever met someone who was doing a really tough job, but they were doing it for something greater than themselves? It'll blow you away. There was a guy I worked with named Dick Giese. <clears throat> He's probably not listening to this or else he may give me a hard time for mentioning him. Um, he worked at a school in South Bay that I was a part of. He was a maintenance man at a school of sixth grade through 12th graders. What that means is he spent his time cleaning up vomit and cleaning bathrooms and uh, scrubbing graffiti and repairing things that kids broke. That was pretty much his existence. And if you sign me up or ask me to do that, I might do it under some kind of false humility, like I do this unto the Lord, but I would be angry. <laughs> I would be bitter. I'll tell you what, there was not a person on campus who exuded the love of Jesus more than Dick Giese. Everything he did, he was just, he was just loving Jesus. <laughs> And loving everyone around him. And the stuff he did, he did really well. And I don't know the last time you were around vomit, but when it gets cleaned up right, it makes everybody better. <laughs> it makes everybody's day better. It makes everything smell better. Man, a lot of us would look at Dick Easy and we'd say, he's a foot. That job is a foot job. But man, he embraced it. And he was good at it. He could fix anything. And he could calm people down in crazy circumstances when they weren't feeling well, when they were overwhelmed. And he could step in and he just made, he brought the Holy Spirit into everything he was a part of. He made that place amazing. When we take the gifts that God has given us and use them for his glory, we are fulfilled in our gifting and we enable the body to do more than it ever could without us.
You understand, when we're operating in our gifting, we are fulfilled in our gifting. And the body operates like it never could without us. It needs us. We're interdependent. Unity in the body is not uniformity. We're not all equal. But Paul's next point is that uniqueness is not independence. It's not a license to be separated. Uniqueness. Paul now moves from talking to the outside, people who thought they were outsiders, to those who thought they were insiders. Those who said, if I'm an eye, I don't need you. If I'm a hand, I don't need you. Paul turns to them next. And a lot of attention gets given to certain people in the church, and it's not right. It's not right. The truth is that all of us are interdependent, whether you are up here, whether you are in the back, whether you are cleaning baby's bottoms in the nursery. We, are, we depend on each other to do what God has called us to do here. We can't do it individually. <clears throat> the connection here is that when gifts are used rightly, they edify the body and they glorify God. When we use our giftings rightly, they don't divide, they unify. And they bring glory to God, edifying the body. Conversely, when gifts are used wrongly, they edify one person or a small group. And they glorify those individuals. And you may have experienced this. And if you have, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not right. We use our gifts, we're fulfilled in them, we edify the body. When we use them for ourselves, to glorify ourselves, it actually is destructive. There's a humility that comes with this. That we actually are vulnerable with one another. That we uh, can actually take joy and people who are fulfilling their giftings. And we can actually feel sorrow when people are hurting in the body. This is the charge that Paul gives the church. Maybe, um, maybe you're really hurt by certain circumstances in your life. Maybe you're super disappointed with the gifts that you have. Have you shared that with anyone? In your community group, with someone here in the body who's a friend, have you shared that? Because you're meant to. Maybe you're super overwhelmed by your gifts. Maybe you sense this thing and you just, it freaks you out. <laughs> have you shared that with anyone? Have you shared that with the body? Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been burned or mocked or discouraged by people in the church because of your gift or your perceived lack of gift. Have you shared that with anyone? Because you're meant to. We need to share these things. We are supposed to, as one body, interdependent, share our pains, our fears, 
our joys. Paul says this is so important. Um, he, and he finishes this passage by saying that if we're truly living as the body of Christ, when one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part is honored, we all rejoice. When's the last time this happened for you? This, is what, this gets to the heart of what I think God is saying to us in our church today. When is the last time you observe someone moving in their gifting of God and it just blessed you? You were just so excited for them. It, it, it brought feelings of joy in your heart. When you saw someone doing what God created them to do. When's the last time you experienced that? believe that that's what God is calling us into as a body. That we can help identify each other's gifts. You know the way people find out their gifts? Someone tells them, man, when I talk to you, you are so encouraging. You have this gift of lifting my heart and lifting my head. It's such a gift. You're such a blessing. Man, when you pray, there's a power in the prayers that you pray that I feel God moving in my circumstances. And here's testimonies of how I have seen God do things. When you pray, you have a gift of prayer. Man, when I was so lacking in faith, you stepped in and you had faith for me. And you spoke words of faith into my life, believing things that were hard for me to believe. And I saw God do this and this and this. We need to tell each other <laughs> Remind each other of your giftings. And when someone steps into a gifting that's not theirs, be gentle. Be gentle. I have tried to sing <laughs> before. People, oh, Dave, not your gifting. <laughs> Actually, it divides the body. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that. <laughs> All right. There's an invitation, church, there's an invitation for us. To be everything God made you to be, to operate in every gift that God has placed inside of you when we accept it and we release that to the Lord. We begin moving in those giftings and I tell you what, if we are a church body that thinks less of ourselves, less of elevating our gift or wanting someone else's gift, we identify our gifting and we move in it, and we move with authority in it because God, Christ gives us the authority. Man, not only will we be changed, this whole city will be changed. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name, Lord. Oh, God. Lord, I am humbled. God, I'm humbled that today you would um, choose to speak through me. God, I'm humbled by my brothers and my sisters. 
God, so many gifts to give, Lord God. I'm humbled by this beautiful picture, Lord, that you unite us. I don't even know everyone's name in this room, God, and yet we're here and you say we're one. We're one body. We're one spirit, drinking of one spirit, God. I'm humbled, Lord. You're, you're too good. God, would you meet us in this time of worship and response right now? God, would you come down? Would you be present here, Jesus, and would you minister to your sons and daughters, those that have doubted that they have any gift, would you minister to them, Lord? Those that have run from their gift and been afraid of it, God, would you minister to them? God, those that have a a gift of prayer and of faith, of intercession, God, would they move in their gift right now, Lord? For your glory, Jesus, be glorified, Lord. Outside of this, God, we're, we're lost. We're nothing. So make us something, Lord, as we give our lives over to you. In Jesus' name, amen.